0: Just an FYI, Saturday just happens to be National Bratwurst Day.
1: This one's for all you hustlers out there. Episode 84. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. And I currently have two little birds fighting on my leg. (laughs) You can hear. The point of this podcast is to be able to bring you great business stories from women all over the world in so many different industries so that you can learn from their business journeys. Now we have been celebrating Shark Week all week long by featuring women of Shark Tank. And I want to personally thank you for participating in our entire Shark Week, Shark Tank of Biz Women Rock selfie campaign. It has been so much fun and I have loved seeing (laughs) the very creative selfies I've been seeing everywhere with all this great artwork. So thank you so much for participating and being a huge catalyst for getting these great stories about these women out to the entire world. You totally rock. If you still want to download some graphics and get on the tail end of this, just go to bizwomenrock.com. There's no better way that I could end this week than with a story that you're about to hear from our guest today. Her name is Julie Boucher, and she's the owner of a company called Slossa. It's a new condiment. It's the combination of a cabbage plus a salsa and... She is somebody who I would say has like the perfect resume for being on Shark Tank, who you would think would get this amazing deal. And what happened next is pretty incredible. So you're gonna hear her story. What you're going to be blown away by is the hustle that this woman has and the marketing expertise that she has. So hold on to your earbuds. This one's a scorcher. Julie, thank you so much for being on the show. No, thank you, Katie. So I, you and I have a hard time actually like pressing the record button because we were chatting the whole time. (laughs) Um, I am so fascinated by your story. Um, definitely from the larger scope of the incredible company that you've built with Slalsa, um, the hustle that you have had behind this product and getting it out there, and obviously your, you know, appearance on Shark Tank and everything that encompasses. So I really would like to, so that people can really get to know a little bit about what kind of, you know, education and business education you come with. Can you start by telling me a little bit about your experience with NASCAR before and some of the business things that you really learned there? sure and and i i did obviously
0: tell this to all the sharks um wish it had made the edit but it didn't um before launching my business i spent over a decade working in um in marketing within nascar which is if you know for a marketer that's the sport you want to work in um because they set the standard for how marketing is done across all sports properties nowadays um but Uh, Started working, actually I was recruited out of college by IMG, International Management Group, uh, in 2000, uh, worked on the agency side. So we represented sponsors within the sport. Uh, By 2007, uh, when the NASCAR drivers, Bobby Labonte, who I had worked with during my time working on behalf of General Mills, asked if I myself and another gentleman who actually did PR, he worked for a competing agency, asked if we would leave our companies and um, help him build his company. So, you know, here's a girl in her late 20s, I guess, and um, another guy, and I think Jeff was only a few years older than me, about 30, um, to, to be asked to, to, to build a company was, was awesome. Um, And to have the confidence of a professional athlete was great. Um, And it was a lot of work. So, you know, for three years I was director of marketing uh, for the agency owned by Bobby. And um, fortunately, during all of my time in NASCAR, I was able to work with General Mills for nine and a half years. Little did I know that the knowledge I absorbed just working with them as a company, either with, with their food service division, with their probably dozens of brands over the years, the the motorsports division, their marketing, their their sales reps spread out all over the country. All of that knowledge that I absorbed is pretty handy today. Yeah, so, no kidding.
1: Let me ask you this, because in working with such big brands like NASCAR and General Mills, um, and then you know ha- having a small business now yourself, can you maybe discuss some things that you learned back then as far as how big business really – Um, kind of their attitude towards marketing versus what small businesses tend to do and what do they do that's different that is really powerful that maybe not all small businesses really see as a small business?
0: Well, I think the one thing that is so beneficial with a a big company like a General Mills is the resources and then the financials, Um, especially the CPG grocery industry, which is what I'm in. Um, a CPG is a consumer uh, products good. It's it's basically a product that you buy over and over again. It's not like you're buying a car once every five to 10 years. It's something that you're going to hit every month at the grocery store. You you know, it's an industry based off of very high volumes and very low margins. Um, So I think, you know, obviously when a, a, a big, corporation is launching a CPG brand, in marketing alone, they're going to put in $10, $20 million to launch a brand and to hope that it goes. Um, obviously, I don't have that kind of money. I wish I did, but uh, but we. I think the little guy, uh, when you're launching a CPG brand, you've got to be extremely strategic and extremely tight on making sure that you know what your Marketing dollar allocation is for every unit you need to sell. Um, so, for example, if um, if you make if you sell a, a product and you make a dollar on it, your marketing probably for the first couple years you need you really need to be spending 100% of your profits back into marketing. Now, after you take out transportation costs and and you know just general overhead costs, warehousing things like that you could be maybe $0.75 cents of that is your profits. Um, so if you want to sell 100 items, then you need to spend $75 to do that. And I think it's being very, very strict on your marketing spend, no matter where you spend it, whether you spend it in radio, whether you spend it um, you know, by shipping products off to bloggers, whether you, um, whether you get creative. Hopefully, you're doing a lot of social media stuff. That's not going to cost a lot. But you need to know what your marketing number is so you get an equal return on your investment each and every time. And I think that's where a lot of small businesses in the food, biz- in the food industry really struggle is they, they're not as strict as, they're, as they should be with those marketing dollars. Um, they could be overspending on, they, you know, demoing is a great thing to do. But when you hire a demo agency and you see how many units that little old lady sells in the grocery store for the money that you spent, you have realize you've lost dollars. So I probably, just with my marketing background and, you know, having worked with, gosh, I managed millions of dollars worth of budgets for General Mills and across, I guess, a million dollars worth of budgets could have been 50 different budgets. And I've always been very cost-conscious. At wanting to save them dollars because I knew if I save them dollars on all of these budgets and I always, my goal was to always come under, then there's going to be extra money left over that they can do extra activation and grow their brand that much more. So I think just my experience with that, um, even though we're working on, you know, different levels, they're working in the millions of dollars. I'm working in the tens of thousands of dollars at it's this the point. It's the same
1: kind of equation though, right? It, it is the
0: same yeah. kind of equation. And, and I think The small business really has to be very strict on their marketing dollar and ensuring that every penny comes back.
1: Well, let's get into how you now know this stuff within your small business now. So give us just a little bit of a backstory to Slalsa. Like, where did that start and how did you come into that company?
0: Right. Um, Well, it it did start off um, as a, a family recipe of a former partner's deceased mother. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it became a 50-50 partnership. And uh, at the point that we were in about 4,200 swords nationwide, he asked that I buy him out. Now, that's a double-edged sword because I know how much work and effort I put into doing that and, and now I have to agree to buy someone out with my own savings, but at the same time, what a great opportunity. Um, that I can own 100% of something that I felt like I put 100% of effort into. So, um, you know, he, the buyout situation was something that I didn't expect him to ask. And But, you know, if if you don't take a leap of faith at some point in your life, you know, you'll never be able to reap the reward. So it was just an unexpected hurdle um, that I had. And, uh, you know, hopefully it paves off. I could get knocked off tomorrow by a major food company, and then I'm out. So so it, so it is very much a risk. But uh, Flalsa, we launched in our first retail stores in late 2011. And then by the time we aired on Shark Tank in November 15th of 2013, Season 5, uh, we were in 5,200 stores in the U.S. and Canada. Wow. So, um, So that was all without my retailers having the knowledge of me even going on Shark Tank. I know a lot of businesses will tend to try to use Shark Tank to get new business, and not that they shouldn't. Um, I mean, we can't use the logos or the marks or or any of that on packaging or point of sale. So it's not as valuable um, as, as it could be if you you were able to use those things. Um, But, but, you know, we had gained retailer confidence and something I told the Sharks, the nation's largest retailer of Walmart and the nation's largest grocery retailer of Kroger before I got on the show. So how that didn't settle into their factoring of making an offer is beyond me but well, you know, things happen for a
1: reason. Yeah, and we're gonna get in we're gonna get into like exactly what your experience was like there. But sure. I gotta ask you this because Prior to Shark Tank, with, without that national exposure, you had hustled your way into 5,200 stores. I, there are so many people listening who have a product that is viable that they want to get into stores. Can you give us, I, I know you said on the show, like, oh, I go and meet everyone. But can you give us like yeah. some real like strategies? Like what did you really do to get that president to shake your hand and put it in the stores? Like what, what were some of the most effective strategies that you used that actually got you onto the shelf?
0: Sure. I think the, one of the biggest misconceptions from, like, if someone's launching a, jam, a, a brand of jam or a homemade product or a food product like my, mine is when they walk into the grocery retailer, they're saying, hey, we've got better flavor than all the other products that you have on the shelf. Taste it. Isn't it great? You need to buy it. We even have a decent price on it, so, you know, it's a fair price but that's not what the buyer wants to hear. The buyer, the number one thing the buyer wants to hear is your marketing program. Number two is probably price. Number three is probably your product. So, um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that go into um, a buyer's decision. They like their unique products. They're willing to take, especially the seasoned guys will be much more willing to take a chance on a unique product. But you've got to bring your marketing program first and foremost. And that's what I focus on when I'm having a meeting with a retailer. And um, HEB in Texas, I met with them, and the buyer said, he said, you know what, this is refreshing because, first of all, you don't know how many people knock on his door and will meet with him week in and week out, young companies. And it's tough for tough for major retailers to take a chance on young companies because they've been burned so many times in the past by their expectation that getting on the shelf is the be-all and end-all to their success. It's not. That's just that's the easy point. You know, that's just the starting point. So the buyer said to me, he said, Julie, you're a marketer who started a food company. You're not a food company trying to figure out marketing. And I think that Ooh, was probably like that. one of the nicest compliments I've ever gotten. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking notice because in my presentation deck, I go through all of the things that I'm doing from a marketing perspective. What works for my brand isn't going to work for another brand. But, you know, I think the one thing that I do present in my marketing program, I don't put all my eggs in one basket. I spread it out. So I've got a very integrated program. If I'm doing radio with Rick and Bubba, they're a syndicated show out of Alabama, and I can do something with Kenny Wallace, uh, one of the NASCAR drivers who is a big Twitter guy, if I can try to integrate Kenny to call into the Rick and Bubba show and do things that kind of combined efforts, um, then I'm going to do things like that. Uh, you know, if, if I can do something with blogging groups, with uh, blogging networks or, or magazines, any way I can integrate one thing I'm doing in with marketing with another thing, it's going to make the whole program that much stronger.
1: I love that. And the reason why every retailer is saying, yay, this is so refreshing is because, you know, usually they have someone coming to them saying, like relying on that retailer, relying on that store to do the sale for them. And what they ideally want is for you, the company, to go out and do so much great marketing that people are coming in demanding that product and it's flying off the shelf. Right, right. Got
0: it. And remember, the buyer's job is to sell more product in his or her category. So if they don't see that you've got a product that can incrementally increase sales in that relish category or whatever category you're going after, then why would they take something off the shelf that's already doing okay in exchange for something that they don't know about?
1: So let's now kind of twist into the actual Shark Tank experience. So one of the things that I'm always curious about is what was your process of actually getting on the show, and why do you think that they chose you?
0: Sure. Well, just to tell you, I'm a season four reject. Um, I applied uh, with my partner just online season four, got through the video process, did a few um, interviews on the phone, and then I never heard back from them again. Um, and that was that was something he realized. There are 40,000 to 50,000 people applying for that show every year, and only a little bit over 100 get aired. So your chances are slim and none. But if you don't play, you can't win. So, um, you know, that it didn't work out for us for season four, and then the whole buyout happened. You know, my partner requested that I buy him out, um, and then so for season five they had an open casting call in Atlanta, and I've never done an open casting call before. I've never applied to get on the show before, uh, but I thought you know what, I'll draw I'll take the four-hour drive down to Atlanta, and I'll I'll try out. So I did that. Um, and I waited in line, you know, with all the other cattle waiting in line for the cattle call. <laughs> and I think I was number one hundred and eighty two in line. So it took me I mean, we waited from the morning all the way until I got a chance to pitch to someone. It was probably seven or eight hours, but you make friends with the people around you. So um, you know, I think the they're the casting agents are looking for two things. Something unique And with salsa, we are unique. There's nothing like us out there. It's a cross between a slaw and a salsa. It's a much healthier and more versatile, more flavorful option than the general pickle relish that's on the market. Um, So that was one thing. We did have something unique. If you have, uh, you know, a peanut butter or honey or, or some of the other items that might have been on the show, I think it's probably more about the person at that point. Because, for example, the honey—there are flavored honeys out there. There's there's two manufacturers in my state alone um, that have flavored honeys. But I think Henry got on because he was a, he was a kid and he had a really good story. Um, his parents had invested so much, you know, money into it, and that makes the whole story. So, for me to come on, for me to be accepted, I think. It had to do with the fact that I had something unique. I had sales, so I had retailer confidence. Um, And then the third was I had a good story about fiscal responsibility of how hard my husband and I had saved. And now, you know, I kind of have the burden of, of, of buying out a partner, but that was something that I accept responsibility for. And I think overall, that was just the entire package that they were looking for. So what makes you different from everything else that they have heard? And you've got to figure that out.
1: Your story is so interesting because you have, you have like the perfect resume for who should be on there and who should get a deal. Um, you had sales, I, you had you yep. were in very big stores, you know, you had physical responsibility, which believe me, not everyone on here right. does. So right. you had such, a- you have this great personality, great story. So walk me through exactly what your experience was as far as like, what were you thinking as everyone was talking and asking you questions and then literally one by one by one, the sharks were out like where kind of walk us through that little roller coaster for you.
0: Sure. Um, well, you know what, before I went in, I didn't think for a minute I would ha- not have at least three offers. I thought this is such a slam dunk. How will they not see what I see in terms of flawless viability in the marketplace, just as a product alone, forget about me. Um, so that was something that, I don't think I can come up with an adjective to describe the shock I've had walking on there with with nothing, Um, and who knows why it happened, but, uh, you know, I went in there to pitch one of the things I wanted to get out early, because salsa is different, let's face it, it is different, it's not something that they are familiar with um, as a peanut butter or as a honey or or anything like that, Um, I knew I wanted to get out my numbers really quick, because if there was going to be any Negativity, it would happen.
1: You needed before to boost I got their
0: numbers out. You needed to boost so, their confidence
1: first. Like say, right, like right. I wanted to say, make hey, sure they they had
0: their yeah they had their listening ears on. We're in forty two hundred stores, and that was at the time of my taping. Um, we have Kroger. We're almost in fifteen hundred stores of Kroger. We're in a couple hundred stores of Walmart, um, and and we had discussions about some of our retail partners. Um, obviously, a lot of that gets edited out. Um, But uh, the fact that we had more direct relationships and they weren't through distributors baffles my mind (laughs) because most of the food companies that go into the tank, they're very gourmet in nature. They're very high priced. And salsa is very affordable, about $3.50 a jar, very affordable to all of Americans. It's not a splurge buy. It's It's something that people can afford on a consistent basis. So, um, you know, that that confused me as well. Here's an affordable, great-tasting, healthy product that got completely edited out, all-natural, fat-free, cholesterol-free, gluten-free, really low in sodium kosher, all that good stuff. Um, how we had something that was potentially a game-changer to the category as a whole, and, you know, I haven't a clue um, of, <laughs> of why they just, They just weren't into it.
1: Now you, you really, your last statement before leaving was, you know, I'm gonna make you all regret this. In a very respect, you were very respectful about it. You were like, hey, I, you know, I appreciate you let me be here, but I'm gonna make you all regret this. So, and they uh, probably more than any other one that I've seen, they were super respectful of you. Like even though none of them actually took you up on the offer, and none of them actually really engaged with you in a negotiation at all. They, right. they were very respectful of what you had done. Did What kind of effect did that have on you? Because that had to make you feel, I know you're confident and like, hey, I know I can hustle this into stores. But, you know, you have very, very um, seasoned investors and business people sitting across from you telling you like, hey, really great job. So what kind of effect did that right. have on you? No, I, th- I think it was
0: positive. Obviously, Mark had, and I couldn't hear what he said when he left. When I started leaving the room, um, but I obviously heard what he said when I was still standing in there, and that was that was very you know very kind words of him to say of me and, and how I ran the business and um, you know my responsibility. Uh, it, I I didn't really get a lot of negativity in the room at all, so um, you know to to get the edit I received was not a huge surprise. Um, of course, there were things that were left out that I wish would have made it in. Um, but yeah, you, I kind of wonder if, you know, maybe some of the food companies and I know Damon to this day, I don't know that he's even invested in the CPG grocery business. Um, you know, and I think they do want to invest in items that they feel that they can have an immediate impact on. So Lori wants something to get the QBC and, and an affordable product in grocery stores is not that item just because shipping would, would kill all the margins on that.
1: Um, do, you so, think you, do you think you would have gotten a deal with Barbara if she were on? You know, I, th- I,
0: I think I would have probably had the best chance with her. Um, and, and Mark usually doesn't do a lot of food company investments unless he's in on the deal with Barbara. Um, you know, I thought that uh, Mark would have seen, he knows that food service is not a money-making opportunity, and that is, Like, for example, Flalsa has a huge opportunity, and and we'll be getting into more concessionary venues as we move forward. But even though it's not a very profitable sector of the business, it is a great marketing program. We're going to be offered Flalsa into Kansas Speedway this fall and hopefully a lot more tracks in 2015 on the condiment table in concessions where we can expose fifteen, ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 new people to try our product for the very first time at those venues. So it's a great marketing tool to drive the sales at retail. And how they didn't see that that is a big sector of the business, not from a profitability standpoint, but from a marketing standpoint, is something that I guess they just, they just didn't get. Um, Kevin... You know, he stayed in until the end, but earlier in our conversations, you know, I think he asked about, um, do I pay my former partner royalty? And I said that I did, but it was over a term. I would never, ever do a royalty in perpetuity deal, not on a high volume, low margin business like CPG Grocery. I think he was sitting there at the end trying to figure out, how can I do a deal with her but try to get her to accept a royalty deal. And we already had that discussion before, and I think he just figured it wasn't going to happen.
1: Did you have, like, a viewing party? Like, what was the reception for you in your hometown?
0: Well, you know, I purposely didn't want a viewing party because I knew I was going to be on the computer working and on Facebook and Twitter and emails and tweets. And and thank God I was because Lisa Lillian of uh, Hungry Girl – reached out to us on Twitter and we saw her tweet and same with Melissa Day Arabian with the Food Network and I Very said, Hey, cool. can I get you yeah. some samples? Sent them samples. Melissa's been so kind. Um, we had a full page editorial in the June issue of the US Airways magazine. She was kind enough to give us a quote. Again, we don't sponsor her. She just loves the product so much. Lisa Lillian named salsa for Hungry Girl. She has a a she has uh, newsletters that go out every day of the week, I think five, five days a week. And she named salsa one of her top favorite condiments, uh, top five favorite condiments. She named in another newsletter, um, uh, top new healthy food item of 2013. That was like December. And then she, she gave us another, you know, calling. And every time she would post that, we would see an upscale of business uh, just just because of her kindness of posting it. Again, we don't sponsor her, but she loved our product so much that she wanted to get out the word. So, you know, you miss opportunities like that if you're not on Facebook and Twitter the night of the show. So um, Actually, I didn't even get a chance to watch it well until we taped it, and I watched it kind of between the East Coast and West Coast airing.
1: That is funny. (laughs) So, So, yeah, I mean, people...
0: And that's the funny thing. Some retailers are a little starstruck. And I'm thinking, you know, I put my pants on one leg at a time. I really, you know, I haven't really changed. Um, but uh, some some people think you're a celebrity. But I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think I am.
1: What are some of the other effects that being on the show and the exposure from the show have given to you?
0: Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to have been on the show. And it's given the opportunity to do it again. I do it in a heartbeat. I think it's been mostly positive. Of course you know, when you're at a festival or you're sampling or you're doing something um, and someone recognizes that you've been on Shark Tank, whether they, someone else next to them says, hey, she was on Shark Tank. And the very first question you get asked is who did a deal with you? And then when you say, well, I didn't get a deal, but they were very nice to me, they look at you kind of funny as if there must be something wrong with you, or something wrong with your business, because <laughs> I mean, seriously. So I think it, it it obviously has some positive impacts, but to be honest, for the people who don't get deals, um, I would think that the people who probably get who get yelled at probably um, have a little bit more struggle with this. But honestly, I think some people look at you as if. There is something wrong with your business if you're not getting an offer from these folks. Um, so it, it, that, that in it of itself is a little bit frustrating because there are many companies that may not have gotten an offer. Um, Dave Owen with Echo Valley Meats, he was a lot like me. He was season four, walked into the tank, had great compliments about his product, had very positive things to say about his business. And he didn't even get an offer like I didn't get an offer. But there was nothing wrong with his business, and it's been thriving. Um, so, you know, that, it, it is frustrating for, for us who feel like we've got our stuff together to not get an offer and to think that someone can think negatively of us just because we didn't get an offer. Um, is a little frustrating. But I think, obviously, it's opened more doors than it's closed.
1: Julie, give me a snapshot of where your business is now.
0: We are in just shy of 7,000 stores. Wow. Um, We do have a lot on the horizon. Uh, The the thing with the grocery industry is, and and we had talked about this before, I think we started taping, but uh, all of the categories are reset once a year, once every two years. So, like specifically for Kroger, we had they had the reset in 2012. They had another one in 2013. They skipped 2014, and they'll reset again in 2015. So, planogram space on how they organize—you just can't force an item in, and that's just a reality. Um, most stores, especially the bigger ones, just can't put something in on a moment's notice. So, I have already had meetings with several major retailers, um, uh, the biggest one up in the Northeast, where we're going to be going in, but I have to wait till April of 2015 to go in, which is fine because that will be on the onset to summer grilling and tailgating season versus, you know, going into the winter. Um, so, um, you know, obviously we can focus our PR and media efforts and marketing efforts on the areas that we currently are And then when we hit the spring, then we'll put a lot more efforts up in the northeast because I've got a couple big retailers coming on board there in the spring. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of things in the works for next year. You know, the stadium concession deal could be very, very big for us. Hopefully I have that wrapped up in the next couple weeks. Um, So, unfortunately, you have to be on – the calendar of the retailer, not necessarily your own calendar.
1: You know, you are obviously somebody who just really hustles and makes stuff happen no matter what. Like Shark Tank, no Shark Tank, doesn't matter. You are going to go and make this business big. You're going to scale it out. I got to ask you, what keeps you so motivated? Like, what is it in you or what things do you do that help you stay moving even when you know everything doesn't seem to go right or even when you're tired or whatever it is even when you get rejected or even when you know all the sharks say no or whatever the issue is what is that in you that helps you keep going
0: um you know I think I've always been a lot like this even um growing up when I was in in school I was very heavily involved with like the 4-H and FFA I had my cows and pigs and the milk cows to you know kind of um keep my animals at other people's properties. I always had a lot of chores to do. And then I got into running uh, my freshman year in high school. I've always had a work ethic that no matter what, I'm going to be the best I can be. I can tell you there is nothing more fulfilling than waking up each and every day knowing that your efforts are growing a brand. Because to take something that wasn't even sold in grocery stores or even farmer's markets when you became involved... And now to, to to see it grow and to get emails from people who tell you how much they love your product. And, and I mean, someone took time out of their day to, wrote, to write an email to you. That blows my mind.
1: Julie, I really want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you, Katie. All the show notes for today's conversation are waiting for you at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 84. Totally love that conversation with Julie. She was full of energy, and I think my biggest takeaway from her was obviously that she is just a marketing mind who looks at business from a marketing angle all the time about getting the word out there to your potential clients. Now, one of the things that Julie said was that she believes in putting 100% of your profits back into your business for marketing, and you know whether you believe in that or not, I think she's hitting it on the head when she really identifies that you need to be having a significant budget put aside for marketing so you can get the word out. I thought that that point was really driven home. I hope you got something great out of this. I really want to thank you so much for participating in Shark Week on Biz Women Rock this week. And uh, I just really, really thank you so much for supporting this podcast, for supporting this community and for helping spread the word of these tremendous, amazing businesswomen. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see you on the next episode. Yes, I did have my birds running all over me while I was recording this intro and outro today. (laughs) I can't help it. They love hanging out with me and they're so cute.